0: Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Crappy Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident crappy Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap, and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones, and tune out your kids, and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Heather, welcome to Confessions of a Crappy Christian.
2: Thank you. So fun. Such a great I'm sure he gets all the time. Such a great title.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Podcast. I I love it. So you have written multiple books, but your most recent one is a essentially, I guess, a children's book Mm -hmm. called Everyone Belongs. I was just telling you before we started recording. I just ordered it for my kids, not realizing that I was interviewing you today. So (laughs) that's just like a really cool first full circle moment, but you are the mom behind the lucky few Instagram and podcast. for people that don't know you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do.
2: Yes. So my name is Heather Avis. I live in Southern California, born and raised, and I've ventured into other places a little bit, but keep finding my way back here. Um, I love it. I love California and I am married and we have three kids, our oldest, my oldest is 14. My middle is 11. My youngest is eight, which is always wild to me. Like I can't believe my youngest child is eight. What That's is happening wild. here? And my oldest and my youngest both have down syndrome. And all three of our kids came to us through adoptions. My husband and I are Caucasian. Our middle daughter is African-American and Guatemalan. So we have, and she has no disabilities. And so we are a transracial multi-ability family brought together through adoption it's a very long story, but and you, I can tell as much as you want here, people can just go find more.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit about it. Just it helps people, you know, know you a little bit better.
2: Sure. Sure. So the lucky few is at this point in life, it's been around for about 10 years, maybe a little bit more than that. So my oldest daughter, Macy, we'll start, we'll go back a little ways. So she came home to us. All of my kids were born in California. Okay. Um, she came home around three months old, We had no intention of having a child with a disability, no intention of having a child with medical issues and who she was on paper. When we started the adoption process, we said, no, you literally, when you do an adoption plan, you're given like a pretty significant stack of papers to fill out. And there's checklists of what Mm -hmm. you would say yes or no to in a child, which is a surreal experience as an expecting parent, because it's not really something you do if you're having a child, like birthing a child, right? Right you
1: don't, you can't opt out.
2: Right. Right. So it's just an interesting experience. But who our daughter was on paper, we had said no to all those things. And it was a very long story, different circumstances led us to knowing that she was in the agency. And once I knew that I couldn't know it. Mm-hmm. And for people who maybe have a faith background or whatever, like this idea that something like I, I can explain it like a spark in my heart. Like there was something changed in me when I learned about her and I wasn't excited about that. I was like, no, right, no, I wish I, I wish i never read that email. Cause mm-hmm. then I could just not know, but now I do. And I know that it means something for me. So we ended up saying yes to adopting her. It really was because no, wasn't the right answer. It's not because we were like, we've got this. Like, I don't know. Yeah. We could- terrifying. And then she enters our life, this little baby girl down syndrome. She was really sick too. She was really medically complex. And a month after coming home had open heart surgery and then had another condition in her lungs. That was really severe. And she was on oxygen 24 seven and multiple medications and tons of doctors. It is all these things, but she entered our life and there, she was just like a baby. Right. Mm -hmm. And yes, there's some complexities there, but at the end of the day, I'm just I'm just rocking my baby to sleep. And I'm mm-hmm. a mom and she's a baby and we have each other and we're doing this life. And that was that's all it needed to be. And quickly after she ended our lives, we real I started to just process her and recognize how society has painted this picture around Down syndrome that's really negative. Mm-hmm. And thus my terror why I was didn't want to adopt her. Right? right. Like and and it's a it's a long story, but also why she wasn't parented by her birth parents. And so there's this like all these layers to it. And then I'm feeling Pretty pumped to be her mom and finding myself in public spaces as she's growing and she's like toddling around a park and she's the only kid with Down syndrome. And I'm thinking, you guys, she's the only one here with Down syndrome and she is mine. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, oh. I'm so lucky. Like, this is my kid. I just had these overwhelming moments of feeling so much gratitude that I got her. I get to be her mom. And as I'm meeting people in the community who love someone with Down syndrome, parents or siblings or grandmas or teachers or anybody who loves a person with Down syndrome, they're feeling the same sentiment that I am. Not everybody, but the majority, like the vast majority are feeling the same sentiment as me. So where's that disconnect, right? Mm -hmm. And so I started um, talking about it. I started saying, what can we do about this? And what I can do in my small sphere is present to the world or whoever wants to consume it. Like My mom and dad, I know are for sure my grandma in Iowa but anybody else who wants right. to
1: it Isn't that how all the best things start. Like,
2: yeah, I'm going to tell the story yeah. of down syndrome that I wish someone had told me before yeah. I adopted this child. And so that, and that just looks like quote normal, like this is what we're doing today, yeah. or this is a really hard thing and we're still doing it, or this is a beautiful thing that we get to experience. And it's, it's at the end of the day, it's parenting, it's life, it's being mm-hmm. a human. And there's, some different complexities, but as there are with all humans, right? Yeah, exactly. It's just a different set. Exactly. So I started using on social media This is all around the time that all social media is also being birthed, right? My oldest is 14, right? So it's just coming into our world. And I start using the hashtag, the lucky few, and it starts to grow real quick. And you, and at one point I click on the hashtag, I'm like, Oh my gosh, all of the pictures in here are people with Down syndrome. Like what's happened? And so the Down community, I think that they were also searching for something like this,
1: right? Like you were giving them a voice
2: and, and so what that turned, and it's really just been like the stepping into early reactionary of, okay, this is happening and sharing more and more. And then a publishing house reaches out and says, do you want to write a book? My God, like, oh, that would be amazing. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And then I write a book and it does really well. And I get to write a second book. And then what about a children's book? Yes, let's do that and then doing social media influencing and getting to work with huge, major global brands and saying to them, you can actually use a family like ours to represent your brand. And then my kids' faces being on national ag campaigns and, you know, like the representation of that and the storytelling of that and the relational piece of that. And it's all just kind of been happening around us. So the lucky few to answer your, your, to go back to the beginning (laughs) question. No, that was
1: the best story ever. So don't (laughs) even like,
2: yeah. So it's basically that few of us have a loved one with Down syndrome, those of us who do are very lucky. And it's the name of our organization. We have a nonprofit wing we started a couple of years ago that um, really, we just focus on creating a space for people to tell their stories and for people mm-hmm. to hear those stories. Mm-hmm. And so we have a web, it's called This is Down Syndrome Project. And we've collected, I mean, 350 stories by now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do beautiful photography and ask people to tell a 400 word story or less about their love one with Down syndrome. And we get things from like a birth story all the way to like a grandpa riding in his truck with his grandson in the window down and having a moment, you know, or like, and everything in between. Yeah. And it's just a place for not only for the Down syndrome community to have their stories heard and their voices heard, but for anybody else, mostly, and hopefully as it grows, everybody outside to look at the stories and see themselves in the narrative. Um, to give them that access point to, to a relationship that they maybe would never otherwise have. Right. So that when they encounter someone with down syndrome, it's like, wait, I know about you. I know that you're fully human. Yeah. I'm not as scared of you. I'm actually going to do what I can to make sure that you can be in this space. I recognize the injustices around you that are systemic like that, you know, hopefully those seeds are being planted. Yeah. It's a big piece of the work we've been doing the last couple of years.
1: That's amazing. That's incredible. I do think we are seeing a shift in that conversation. Like I wear almost exclusively airy clothes because they're just comfy. And like there, you're starting to see representation Mm -hmm. in fashion and in media that never existed before. Wasn't the Gerber baby, Mm -hmm. a Down syndrome baby just recently?
2: He, yeah, the Gerber baby had Down syndrome, I feel like in 2019 or 2020.
1: Yeah, a couple of years ago. I don't know. I just think it's really cool. I don't have any direct ties to people with Down syndrome, but my husband has a cousin and like we have a family member. And so I guess in some capacity, growing up in proximity, it, mm-hmm. it never was like a thing for me. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. They, But as I got older, began to witness, like you were saying, the injustice and the stigma that does tend to surround that disability. And it was shocking, mm,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: like to yeah. get into like young adult years and be like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, wait,
2: <laughs> yeah, is,
1: like you said, like, it's just another human being and their genetics are just a little bit different. Like it's
0: mm-hmm.
1: just for people, if they maybe don't have a scope of what that looks like or why your work is important. Can you share a little bit of like what that side of it looks like?
2: Sure. Like the, the the injustice. Yeah. Like the
1: the things that, that the people with down syndrome are up against that they face.
2: Yeah. I mean, there are things within the law, right? People with down syndrome are legally can not just down syndrome disability can be paid a lower wage than people without. It's really hard for people with disabilities to get married, legally get married because of the financial pieces that exist in the way that they're there, that Mm -hmm. it actually is harmful for them financially, to get married than to not, so it's like discrimination in that regard there's literally just like absolute discrimination happening in our culture system for disabled people yeah systemically and I think and then and then I have my own experiences, but what has happened is I think is we have a a society built on this idea of ableism um so ableism meaning that non-disabled people have a easier time in life, right? Like right. we have systems built for non-disabled people and not for disabled people. We have built into our society and our thinking ideas that non or that disabled people are less than right. and seen that way, treated that way, systems built that way. Yeah, they're like dead weight, totally, and yeah. we feel bad for them. Or it, we dehumanize disabled people in our society. So, and people with Down syndrome, it's really interesting because with social media, there's like this big opportunity for people with Down syndrome to be seen and known. Mm-hmm. And so it's what I've seen happen, and I, I talk about this a little bit, but we now have this avenue where it's like, now we can show this video of this person with Down syndrome running a marathon, modeling on the runway, being voted homecoming king or queen, all this. And it goes viral. And if it's like, look at this, look at this, look at this. And that's great. But what we're doing is saying if you are able to be more like people without Down syndrome, we will celebrate you with Down syndrome. Right. Right. And everyone's eating it up. And right. we're and Anna, as a person in the down syndrome community, we are the ones feeding it to them. Right. And so I think there are also people in the disability space, non-disabled people in the disability space, parents specifically, we are not immune to ableism. Mm. And the and how we have to undo that in our own lives. So that's like foundationally what's happening in our society. It's there. And what that looks like day in and day out. I mean, oh gosh, I could just tell story after story of my Mm -hmm. kids with Down syndrome stepping into a space. And honestly, the expectation on them is to bend and flex and be more like their peers without Down syndrome. Right. And the expectation is you get to work twice as hard to be seen as half as less. That's what Mm -hmm. we're trying to get to do here. Or in some cases, like 10 times as hard to be seen as half as much. Yeah. There's a dehumanizing that happens when they step into a space even with the best intentions in mind, right? And what's interesting is like the times that my kids have had really incredible experiences with other, with people for the first time or in a dance class or in a classroom, whatever. We like, it's like, wait, there's something different here. Why is this working? Why is it working? Then we get to the root of it. Like, oh, because this teacher has a cousin with Down syndrome. Right. Or, oh, because this kid invited Macy to her birthday party. And when we get to the birthday party, it's like, oh, her cousin is autistic and two adults in her life have intellectual disabilities. Right. And how, again, goes back to how important that relational piece is. And so I feel like I'm just tangenting now.
1: It's a lack of understanding on the part of people who either don't have the disability or have experience with it, which I think that there's a give and take there of grace. Mm -hmm. Like some people really are doing the best with what they have, but also, Like there is a responsibility to educate yourself and to be able to welcome people into your space as they are.
2: Right. Absolutely.
1: You're doing the educating piece of, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important work of if you are someone who didn't, you know, just doesn't have an understanding of that. I'm not going to fault you for not understanding (laughs) what I will fault you for is not being willing to.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's, it's like, are you willing to be a listener and a learner? And to grow in everything. And I have made so many mistakes. I mean, even, even like, well, the beginning, I didn't want my kid, you know, <laughs> because of this idea around what down syndrome means. Like right. I, I had to grow through that and I have to have grace for that. And so that, and then I'd extend that grace to others for sure. Right. But it is like, are you going to now move forward in growth? Or are you just going to be a jerk? Right. And then we'll decide where the relationship lies. And exactly. I really, really, really believe that the majority of people want to do good and love well. Absolutely. They just need opportunity to know and tools to know how to do that because relationships are, can be really, really hard when it is the easiest kind. It is Mm -hmm. still really challenging. And then when we're saying, we're going to be intentional and step into relationships with people who are very, very different than us. You're just making a decision to step into an uncomfortable place. Right. And that's what we're doing, right? Right. We're going to step towards discomfort. Yes. And then- continue to step that direction and every step breaks down that barrier and you become more comfortable with the thing that you didn't know about before because now you know.
0: Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. Yeah.
1: That's like the mantra behind like everything that I do is freedom is on the other side of what makes you uncomfortable. Mm, We have to be willing to step into and through the discomfort and you know, specifically in this example to experience the fullness of like, oh my gosh, people with down
2: syndrome are the best. They're great. They're great humans. (laughs) Best,
1: The actual best. They for sure give the best hugs I've ever gotten in my life, (laughs) but they're like so genuine and like wonderful and pure. And so it's like, Maybe you're a little bit uncomfortable but I promise if you push through that like look at what's on the other side. Yeah. And you you had to do that in essence when you thought it was something that you didn't want it and you pushed through that and like look at how you know now you consider yourself lucky for having walked through that discomfort.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think too with people with down syndrome and with all people it's like there that idea that a group of people is not a monolith and that's right. also something we're up against too, right? Like this is each person's an individual and their syndrome has some lines like that, that are similar. There's a similar line for a lot of people with Down syndrome. And the thing that, I've, that I, like I try to put my finger on it and what I feel has been the most common for the majority of people I know with Down syndrome is this lack of inhibition where they say, I'm going to show up in a space as I am, but even more beautiful than that, I'm going to see you as you are yes, and I'm going to be good with it yeah, or not, or be like, I'm actually not cool with who you are. I mean, you're going to know, you're going to know how I feel in a way that there's not ego there, you know, it's not like this ego that we all try to hold on to a lot of us without Down syndrome or intellectual disability. So I find that people with Down syndrome for me and my kids, obviously, especially it's been an invitation to step into that because if you look in our world and I, we can point to different things we can blame for this. I think social media is towards the top of the list. Mm -hmm. People are striving to be something other than who they are. Yeah. They're desperate for it. Mm-hmm. And it, and then you're like, I'm going to do these five things. Cause this person who is this motivational speaker said, do these five things. And then I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to be great. And then mm-hmm. you've done the five things and you're like, oh wait, there's five more things. And I'm miserable. I'm miserable. We are miserable. We are miserable. And then I've got my daughter, Macy, who is like stepping into each space as she is and yeah. saying to me, as you are is good. Mm-hmm. And I have found that by having relationships with people in the disability space and people with like people with down syndrome. It's been an invitation into stepping into seeing intrinsic value and worth in them, which then reflects back on me. And then I get to sit in the space and be like, wait a second. Okay. If I'm going to be challenged to say who you are is good and enough with Down syndrome, Mm -hmm. who you are is good and enough, then I get to be good and enough. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Is there anything more that we want than to walk into a space and be like, people here love me for me. Mm -hmm. That's amazing what's the kicker or the irony is we don't see the invitation to that or we don't know to step to it because it's unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so then we shy away from it. Instead. Right. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly.
1: Right. So I want to talk about everyone belongs because that very much goes with exactly what we're talking about. From what I understand from my Amazon
2: order that I just recently <laughs> raised, <laughs> I is it. that
1: it's, it's encouraging kids to like make other people feel welcome who might not feel welcome.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had people say since the book came out like this, this is going to be such a great book for my friends who have kids with disabilities. I'm like, it will, because that they're going to see themselves in the story, but this book is for your kids, right? Like this book is for the rest of the kids because, um, it's a story of sisters named Macy and true who are my girls and they go to put on a show and which is also something that's very on brand for them. Yeah. And as they go to put on a show, they go to a public park and they're doing their own thing. And kids walk up wondering if they can be a part of the show and there's a character Lamar and he uses a device to speak there's a character Nova and she's blind there's a character Shep and he uses a wheelchair I'm giving the story away here but it's 20 pages so it's It's fine yeah you read it right and you get to the end of the book and and every and more kids come up and they're wondering like can I be a part of this show and there's a couple of lines like one line is truly looks at the crowd and says um we're so happy you're here you're in the right place Mm -hmm. it makes me cry because that's all we want right as people is to walk in a room and have it, the people in the room be like, we're so happy you're here. Like when I think about my kids going to dance class in school and church, we want this as humans. Yeah. But we'll walk in the room and it, everyone in the room is like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy you're here. You're in the right place. Yeah. What can we do together? So that is one of my favorite lines. And then there's no ramp to the stage. So how can Shep be a part of the play? Yeah. And True, the character True has this great line where she says, the space is the problem, not the way you get around, Ooh. which also makes me cry. And then they have to adjust. And so it's this invitation for our kids and for us as parents, it's an invitation to like, say, there's different people, with different disabilities that are physical. So it opens up conversations with our kids. Yeah. Like, what, what is this? What is this? I think it's important for us raising kids to let them ask questions and to not shame them for their curiosities. Yes. Um, and we may feel uncomfortable and shame about it, but no, let's ask the question, right? Mm-hmm. And let's address it at home where you can say all the things without embar- making someone in public feel embarrassed for who they are. Yeah. And maybe you will still do that. And then we say, hey, we we make mistakes, let's apologize and keep moving forward, right? Like Mm -hmm. this is what we do, this is how we live, this is who we are. Yeah. That's amazing. It's this picture of sometimes to make things work, we have to adjust. And that's good. And it's okay. And it's better when everyone's there instead of like sticking to no, this is how it's gonna work. Right. And that excludes people. It's like, wait, how can everybody here bend and flex so that so everyone can belong? How do we create those spaces?
1: Well, and I think as a parent, I don't know about you, but for me, like, yeah, it's nice to walk into a room and people be glad that you're there, but I want that for my kids a hundred times more. Absolutely. A hundred times more. Cause I'm an adult now. So I'm like, you don't like me, you know, whatever it's fine. Mm -hmm. But for my children, that nothing rips my chest apart than more than when my kids don't feel welcome Yeah, or not even just welcome, but like wanted in a space. Yeah. And so you know, how do we disability or not? Like, how do we raise children who that is their heart Mm -hmm. and their, their motivation is like you said, you not being able to get on the stage. Isn't your problem. It's the stage's problem. Right. That like, Oh my gosh. Like that's how you want your
2: kids to see the world.
1: Right. Not like, Oh, Shep can't get on the stage. That's annoying. Like, no, the stage is dumb. Not Shep.
2: Yeah. And I think even, even that idea of like, Hey, the things that are hard for you in this environment, right. Just as you are, is who is who we want here. Just like you are. And again, it's not like, what about growing? What about learning? This is how we grow and learn that we feel safe to step into a space. We feel that sense of belonging. And then it just happens, right? Like we get to learn and grow from each other when we feel like we belong in a space. And so, yeah, my hope is that this book is a tool for parents, right? They can use it. On our website, heatheravis.com, there's an education kit that teachers can print, parents can print, church leaders can print. That's 12 pages of like questions and and oh, yeah. activities for kids to do to help spark conversations around di- belonging and differences. And it's really, really beautiful. I encourage parents to use that. But yeah, like how do we change it? It starts with us. Our kids are watching us, right? Like our kids are watching everything we're doing. And then we get to take a book like this and have these conversations and say, do you know anybody? Can you think of anybody who's Mm -hmm. like one of these characters? And it's like, well, maybe in the class in the corner at my school, right? Yeah. What could we do? Like, how would you feel about walking up to that kid there who maybe doesn't speak the way you're used to or act the way you're used to? Like, does that make you feel uncomfortable? Yeah, it does. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So what, let's talk about that. How do we get past that? And like, can you see the intrinsic value and worth in them? Like God loves them so much just as they are. Yeah. And I do too. And we do too. So what do we do? Right. And helping our kids do that. And then they do it. And then they're like, that was hard. And then the the person yelled at me and I didn't know what they said. And I got so nervous. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's totally nerve wracking. Yeah. Let's try it. Let's try it a different way. Let's try again. Yeah. We, those of us raising kids, we get to do that. Like we get to, we get to be, to help them be the change that that we need now, like that we get to help them be the generation that's going to say, yes, we're not going to create exclusive environments anymore. We're going to create environments where when people walk in, they're going to be like, Oh, I belong here. I belong here. Yeah.
1: Or, and even, I think we, we get the opportunity to do that for our kids too. Yeah. This is who Jesus says you are. This is who your mom says you are. Like we get, that is such a gift.
0: Mm -hmm. that
1: I do think will change a generation. The fact that you consider yourself lucky to be your kid's mom, Mm -hmm. that is going to change a generation that they are not a burden. right? They are not something to be navigated, that they are a blessing. That's radical in the best way.
2: Yeah, I hear that. And I, yes and amen. I think that as an advocate and a voice in the Down syndrome space, there's so much change that's happening and it's really mm-hmm. good. And even like the American something pediatric ABP, mm-hmm. some, it's like the main pediatric journal just changed all their language. So all pediatricians get medical journal that this is how we talk about down syndrome. Mm-hmm. And it's huge. It's huge. And, and I'm not being a pessimist here. I'm just being pragmatic. It's not going to affect my kids because it's, it, this sounds terrible, but it's too late. Society yeah. has decided who they are for their life. However, maybe not the next generation, maybe not the next, but eventually, right. We're going to keep doing this work. And eventually yeah, all of our kids are going to be reading a book, like everyone belongs in preschool. And this is foundational in their lives. And then they're going to be in classrooms with people with disabilities. Cause they're not going to be shoved in the corner yeah. and they're going to be at church with people with disabilities or all kinds of people. Right. And then when they get to be an adult, this is just how we do life. Yeah. This is what we do.
1: Yeah. And like, that's what Obviously in heaven we'll be in perfect bodies, but that's what heaven on earth looks like. Sure. That's what like heaven on earth as it is in heaven looks like is seeing people how they are. No tweaks, no, this would be better. I'm gonna see you how you are. Obviously like that's putting aside like sanctification and whatever, you know, that's not what I mean. But like the way that they show up is okay. And I do, I agree with you. I think that we're seeing, I do think we're seeing shifts in that. In the down syndrome community, in the mental health community, like in all of it, that's really cool. Like for as crappy as the internet can be sometimes and (laughs) as like exhausting as people can be, it's really like almost reassuring to see these little shifts happening.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it's a shift and it's a shift in a mindset. And I have to, at the end of the day, believe in the ripple effect of that. Right. And whether I see it or not like I have to. And then I get little glimpses. I right. get glimpses like a quick story that uh, my daughter Macy is now in eighth grade. She started eighth grade, but we moved to a new school in fourth grade. And we have been working real hard to make sure that my kids are in their general education classrooms and not in a separate space for school, which is not the norm in California, many schools, many states, but especially California. And so we get to this school, this like, no one here's ever done this before. Yeah. We've never done fourth grade like this before either. Let's make it work. And it was hard. It was a hard year, but with people on a team who are, "Yes, let's make it work." And we brought on to the team, this woman who is an inclusion specialist, and it's her first year. and I'm like, "Oh, so you have no training. OK, okay. And we're <laughs> figuring it out. And now my daughter's in eighth grade, but my son is in second grade at the same school, and she is his inclusion specialist. And I ran into her this summer at a store, and um, we're chatting, and then her husband walks up, and she's like, "This is Heather, this is the woman who's changed my life forever." And I'm like, "Why? hold on here?" And she's like, "No working with Macy that year has changed everything for me forever. She's like, there's nobody that I don't tell about them. There's no space. I walk into where I'm not like people need to be here. Like everyone with Down syndrome deserves to be everywhere. And she's like, I am working towards an educational world where every classroom is an inclusive classroom. And I never would have done that without Macy. Right. And so it's like, okay, let's keep going.
1: But that's how change happens. Like, I think it's so easy to think like, I'm just one person. I can't like the ripple effects off of the, the efforts that I make aren't going to be that big. You don't know that. Right. You don't know that. Yeah. You change someone else's life. That person is a part of changing an educational system. Like, and I think that's why God just asks us to show up,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like,
1: show up and walk in the gifts that he's given you and to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for you. And like, trust him with the rest of it
2: yeah absolutely and i think even hearing you say that i love that because i what i've learned and my feelings about even like the gifts that god's given you and theologically what that means for disability we don't have a lot to go off of and what we do have is tainted by this idea of ableism and what if we look at disabled people as made in the image of god with Mm -hmm. a disability right Mm -hmm. like not a something to be prayed away and cured like no when god made my kids with down syndrome He added an extra chromosome to every cell in their body on purpose. He's not like, whoops, that one got away. Exactly. This is who God created them to be bearing the image of God. So if we step into spaces around people who make us uncomfortable, it's like, okay. And as they are, they're an image bearer of God because they were created by a good God who loves them very much.
1: Right. Well, and that that's biblical, like the body, not everybody's going to be a hand, not everybody's going to be an elbow. Like. Why do we need everybody to be ahead, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, like because we, you know, we'd covered this earlier. Like there are ways, you know, talking about like kind of they how people with Down syndrome tend to kind of put their inhibitions aside. Like that's that's an image of God Mm -hmm. that that you're going to see exemplified in them, and you get to like learn from, like you were talking about. Like that's incredible.
2: Totally, and even on that, like that Bible verse, I think that there was a time that I thought, and I think the church. Really leans this way, like Big C Church. If people, Mm -hmm. I don't know, people understand what I mean, but it's like, well, if this part of the body is sick, like we're not just going to cut it off and ignore it. We're going to help it. And I think people see that. I was like, oh, this is a disabled person. I'm like, no, I don't think that we're thinking big enough. I Mm -hmm. like, I think our understanding is also coming from these societal ideas that are harmful that aren't the heart of God. Mm -hmm. So even in the way that I approach, like what God says about who people are, yeah, it's been radically. Shifted for me because I'm not going to look at my disabled friends and be like, man, you poor thing. Right. Like, that's not what I'm doing. And I have disabled friends who do, like, who are wheelchair users who really do want to walk, you know, and yeah. it's inhibiting that they don't. And I have friends who don't. And they're like, who I am is awesome. And my chair is a part of me. And I love my chair and I love my body. And I love who I am in this world. And it's not me who's the problem. It's the space. Mm-hmm. The world doesn't accept me for me. The world doesn't let me be who I am. I'm great. It's not, I feel like, Let's just like God be God and we'll and love and love people well. Amen. I mean, that's the whole podcast episode, right? Right. Like God be God
1: <laughs> and love people well. We're not asking a whole lot. Like just yeah. don't be a jerk, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, this book is out. Uh, everyone belongs. And where the lucky few, that's where you are, like on Instagram and social media, correct?
2: Right. On Instagram, on Instagram, the Lucky Few official. Online, you can go to or Heatheravis.com. It all will link back to each other. And yeah, the book is called Everyone Belongs. You can get it anywhere you would buy your books. Awesome, Heather, thank you so much. Oh my gosh, thank you. This is a great conversation. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for this
1: week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right, see you next week.